You're listening to the Shift Work Podcast, episode 87. If you're at the precipice of a big decision, big opportunity inside your life, today's episode is about understanding risk. Today, I'll give you a simple mathematical formula for understanding risk, and I'll show you a common fallacy that blocks you from reaching the level of success that you desire. Today's episode is all about the integration of the left brain and the right brain and removing barriers for your success. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Luke Lehman, and you're listening to the only podcast for high growth entrepreneurs rooted in business strategy and tactics as we discover the habits of high performance leaders and dive deep into brain science. With over two decades leading high performance teams, From fighter pilot to CEO, I'm excited to join you in your entrepreneurial journey. Shift the mindset needed to build your empire, keep more money in your pocket, and enjoy every day of the journey. Welcome to Shift Work. Hey, hey, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Work Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Lehman. and I'm excited to have a discussion with you today about something that I consider to be extremely important that I think is leaders that we neglect all too often. And we're talking today about risk. You see, it seems in conversations that I have that most leaders solve their risk equations using their subconscious cues. And they really neglect to go through methodical planning processes or risk tolerance processes to figure out what it is that they should be doing or shouldn't be doing with their time or energy. And if you've been around this show for any amount of time, you might say that I have a higher risk tolerance than you. I have a willingness to fly airplanes in very risky situations. I have a desire to grow and scale entrepreneurial ventures. But what's interesting about risk, when we look at it linguistically, is that risk is simply just a probability equation. It's an understanding of whether or not the rewards can outweigh the potential downsides. And coming up with your own level of risk tolerance to understand what factors apply when you make decisions. I have a whole lot coming for you today as we discuss risk. I have a formula that you can apply. We're going to discuss a cognitive bias that makes us misassess risk. And I'll give you three rules you can apply today that more accurately assess whether you should or you shouldn't be taking risk. But the fact is most people generally say things like, that's too risky, or I'm uncomfortable with that, or I wouldn't do that. And even if you're not saying it out loud, you're making these snap judgments without giving things full consideration. But let's start here for today. If I were to ask you to jump off a hundred story building, would you do it? Or is it too risky? I think we can probably all say it's too risky. But what if I were to give you a parachute? Still too risky? What if I were to ask you to jump off a hundred story building with a parachute? for a million dollars. Too risky? Would it change if I say that I would allow you to train for it for three months? What if I were to change it by saying that I would allow you to jump off the 100-story building with training and a parachute for a million dollars and I were to put a net below you, three feet below you? Now too risky? What if hundreds of people had done it before you? Still too risky? You see, we often don't take the time to stop and think about all the different equations or the inputs or the variables that go into what makes something risky. But let's start here for today. Let's look at the risk formula. Risk is simply 
probability times impact. So let's take a look at this. Probability refers to the likelihood or chance of a particular event or scenario occurring. It's usually expressed as a percentage or a decimal between zero and one. In the context of risk assessment, probability represents how likely it is for a certain risk or event to happen. Now, the other side of the equation, impact, refers to the potential consequences or loss that would result if a risk event were to occur. This could include financial loss, operational destructions, damage, you can get hurt, sick, peril, whatever it is. Oftentimes, we think about risk quantified in monetary terms. But if I were to look at that equation and I said that risk is equal to probability times impact, couldn't the opposite also be true for success? If I were to say success equals probability times impact, and then I were to go through the same variables, probability is a likelihood or chance that a particular event would happen. Yeah, got it. And then the impact, instead of saying the consequences or losses, I could say the impact refers to the potential for success or the impact on your business, life, wealth, finances, health. So the risk formula really is how likely is it going to happen and how much impact could it have in my life? And when we talk about fear associated with risk, you've often heard me say that fear is the future expectation of an adverse result. That's F-E-A-R, future expectation of an adverse result. And the last part, the caveat is the independent of its relative likelihood of occurrence. And that's where the probability comes in. How likely is something going to happen? We can fear things all the time. As I'm recording this podcast, we just had a hurricane come through Charleston, South Carolina, and I get a chuckle because I go to the grocery store And now you got to understand, Charleston, no stranger to hurricanes. We get one every year. It comes through. It gets some wind and rain. Does it have the potential to be damaging? Sure, it does. That's risk, probability, and impact. But as I'm at the grocery store, I'm laughing because I see that all the aisles are cleared of the milk and the bread. And I'm I'm looking around and I'm like, what are you guys going to do with all these milk and bread sandwiches that you've gotten? It just it's so difficult for me to understand. What's the risk in a hurricane? The risk is power goes out. So if the power goes out, then how good is your milk going to last? And what are you going to do with all this bread pudding that you've created there? It's just really, I mean, if I were going to do anything, I just want canned vegetables probably, right? Because I can heat them up over a gas stove and I'll be all right with the world. I digress. We're not talking about hurricanes. We're talking about risk today. I mentioned to you one of the things in the beginning was flying low altitude and how I look at this risk, and whether that's something that you would be willing to do. Now, obviously, not everyone can be a fighter pilot, and not everyone's had the opportunity to fly a 41,000-pound airplane at 100 feet above the ground, but risk tolerance is really just risk tolerance. If I thought there was a high likelihood, high probability, impact's a little bit play on words there, but the impact of my airplane hitting the ground, the impact of my life being over, if the risk outrate the reward, I probably wouldn't do it. So maybe if it was training, I wouldn't have as much of a propensity to step down from 500 to 300 to 100 feet. If it's war and I'm getting shot at and the surface to air missile systems can't shoot me down at that altitude, you can bet your sweet ass that I'm happy to go to 100 feet to outmaneuver or to defeat that missile system. 
But what is this assumption of risk? Well, when I look at the risk, I look at, I'll use this example as a a man and a machine and the machine being an extension of me as the man. By the point that I had flown low altitude, I had been in the airplane for hundreds of hours. I knew the operating characteristics of the airplane. I had an understanding of the mechanics. I had an understanding of the way that the engines worked and the spool up time. I knew how the ailerons operated. I knew when the airplanes felt squishy when I got to low airspeeds. I knew what happened if it stalled. So I felt quite comfortable being at low altitudes. So part of risk is your own comfort level associated with the operating condition that you're in. It can be your marriage. It can be your relationship with your kids. It can be your work environment. It can be whatever it is. It's associated with your comfort level based on the relative likelihood of something bad happening. Are you beginning to see how perhaps you've been misapplying risk in your own life and not thinking about all of the different conditions that need to go into it for you to be able to make an educated or comforting decision? If not yet, then let's take a look at this. There's a discussion about something called the base rate. Now, the base rate is extremely old. In financial terms, the base rate goes all the way back to the Bank of England when it was granted a royal charter by King William and Queen Mary in 1694. But for the conversation about base rate that we're having today, it's much more recent and comes from an area of study and probability and statistics. And we'll get into the base rate fallacy here in just a second, which helps us understand our cognitive biases and our heuristics surrounding the base rate. But let's understand it first. The base rate refers to the basic probability of an event occurring within a given population or under certain conditions. And it provides a starting point for understanding the likelihood of an event without considering any additional factors or information. And that will become important here in just a a moment. Base rates are often derived from historical data or general knowledge about a specific situation. Now let's look at risk. Risk, on the other hand, involves the probability of an event occurring and the potential consequences or impact associated with that event. It takes into account not only the base rate, but also other relevant information, such as the severity of the impact, the context, and any additional factors that might influence the outcome. So let's look at it very simply. I just told you that I lived in Charleston, South Carolina. If you think about the base rate, the base rate can be the geography. It can be the fact that Charleston sits on the eastern seaboard. And when you look back at history, there is a history of hurricanes originating in the Caribbean that come up the eastern seaboard and they make landfall between Florida and Virginia. So when you think about the base rate, the base rate is the fact that the geography has a predisposition for risk. That is not the individual data. The individual data that I would add on top of that is the month. We know that there is a specific set of months associated with hurricane season. It's now August when this podcast is being recorded and probably released sometime in September is we're in hurricane season. But in February, when I think about the base rate and then I apply the individual circumstances, the base rate is the geography. I have a predisposition towards being in the path of a hurricane. The individual concern is that I'm in February and February has a very low likelihood. 
So I have to look at the base rate and the individual circumstances. And we'll talk about the base rate fallacy in just a moment. But before we do, let's take a look at Kodak. Now, I know that you're likely familiar with Kodak, but Kodak was a pioneer in the photography industry, and they had a history dating back to the late 19th century. They played a significant role in popularizing photography. They made consumer-grade cameras and film, and for decades, Kodak was synonymous with photography, and its brand was recognized worldwide. But here's the kicker. Their downfall can be attributed to their inability to adapt to the digital age, which we'll talk about that when we understand base rate here in just a moment. Despite being an innovator in photography, the company struggled to pivot its business model and embrace digital technology. They had a dominant position in the film and analog photography market, but the advent of digital cameras and smartphones with built-in cameras disrupted the industry. They failed to embrace the digital technology. They remained heavily invested in their traditional film-based products, and the company's leadership failed to anticipate the rapid shift in consumer preferences towards digital photography. So we'll get into that in just a second. Here's what happened. As digital photography gained traction, Kodak faced declining sales profits, but that, that all makes sense. The company's market share eroded, and it struggled to compete with digital-focused competitors. In 2012, after years of financial challenges, they ended up filing for bankruptcy. So what is it that we need to take a look at? When we think about the base rate and the risk tolerance, when they looked at their market as photography, what they were neglecting was the base rate was innovation. You see, if they thought that their base rate was photography, they might very likely have been in a very advantageous place. But the base rate wasn't photography. The base rate was what was happening in America at the time. And across the previous 100 years, there had been such advancements in technology that there was bound to be a continued advancement in photography technology. There's a saying that I'm sure that you've heard before from the Greek philosopher Heraclitus that says the only constant is change itself. And Kodak forgot about it. Kodak stopped innovating. They thought that they were innovating in the space of photography, but they failed to innovate in the space of technology. So when we look at it from a risk management perspective, and we look at it from a risk tolerance perspective, Kodak probably should have known it's coming by simply looking at the base rate and knowing that they needed to advance their technology. And it's risk. Of course, it's risk. That's part of growing the business. They couldn't take the risk of diversifying into the digital technology space while Apple was creating an iPhone that you could literally take a photo and store it and send it instantaneously. They were changing the digital space altogether. So let's take a look at this concept called the base rate fallacy. The base rate fallacy is also known as base rate neglect or base rate bias. It's a cognitive bias that occurs when people tend to focus on specific information or individual characteristics while disregarding the broader statistical data or the base rates. This bias can lead to incorrect judgments and decisions as individuals give more weight to anecdotal or specific information rather than considering the overall probabilities. So when we go back to talking about the hurricane, which one gives me more likelihood that I'm in the path of a hurricane? Is it that the month is August or is it that the geography gives me a predisposition to it? 
if you look at the specific circumstances and you say, in Charleston, there is a hurricane season, the likelihood of being in this eastern seaboard in the month of October, September, August gives you a predisposition towards being in the path of a hurricane. Which one is it? Is it simply that August or September is the month? Or is it that the geography gives me a predisposition towards it? It's pretty easy to see when we apply that, that the answer is it's the location, the base rate that gives me the highest probability of being in the path of the hurricane. You could say it could be September in Palm Desert or Minneapolis, and there'd be no hurricane that's going to hit there because the base rate is the geography. In essence, the base rate fallacy involves underestimating the likelihood of an event occurring based on general probabilities or base rates. This occurs when individuals overly rely on unique or specific information that might seem more relevant or vivid, even though it might not accurately reflect the true likelihood of the event within a broader context. So go back and take a look at the flying low altitude example. Which one is the base rate? Which one might I be over relying upon? Is it the environment that I'm flying in? Is it the airplane or is it the human? If you have a fear of flying, you need to cover your ears for this next piece. The unfortunate part of aviation is the majority of mishaps happen because of human error. There's really nothing wrong with the airplane. And if you look at the airplane as the base rate, the highest likelihood is the airplane will continue its flight characteristics. It will remain airborne. And the individual characteristics has to do with the human component, the interruption of the flight profile that the airplane is flying. There's lots of examples of perfectly good airplanes being crashed into mountains because of pilot incompetencies. So when we look at the error induction, a lot of times the individual characteristics of our decisions is the error that we induce into it as humans. And that's really where we're going to pick up today. Because the highest likelihood of risk or failure, the probability that things don't work out the way that you want them to is because you induce the risk into the environment. You induce the possibility of failure. And that's what we need to take a look at today. So I'll give you my three rules for risk. And if you're at the precipice of making a big decision, if you feel like there's some apprehension about the risk versus reward, if you feel like there's an opportunity coming your way and you just don't know whether you should take it or leave it, the first rule is know the risks. All too often when I sit down with someone and I say, what's the potential upside or the potential downside, the list is just incomplete. Not even the neglection of the base rate fallacy, but just not knowing all of the different factors. If we look at the hurricane example and we come back and say, what are the factors associated with damage from a hurricane, the potential risk, the opportunity for failure? Sure, my geographic disposition is one of them. The month that I'm sitting in is one of them. But what about the construction of my home? What about the tide levels? What about any number of other factors that go in there? And when we think about knowing the risks, the majority of people don't consider all of the different factors that go into the risk. So brainstorm, what's the opportunity for upside? What's the opportunity for downside? And as you know those risks, you can now move into step two, which is to determine the risk interdependencies. And this is one of the most important things I can tell you. 
risk is accretive. When you begin to stack the factors, one plus one plus one does not equal three. One plus one plus one equals something greater than that. There's a high probability of my survivability if I do not fly a 41,000 pound A-10 at 100 feet above the eastern North Carolina floor. There's a high likelihood of success for that. As I put myself in the airplane and as I begin to descend down to 100 feet and I begin to do tactical maneuvering, I begin to increase my risk. The accretive component of the interdependencies, that was a lot of big words, the accretive component where one plus one does not equal two of the interdependencies, how when you add those things, the potential for risk goes up. Being in Charleston in August or September near a high tide and in poorly constructed homes means that I might be damaged or receive peril from the hurricane. Sure, that's correct. So stacking those interdependencies up. But when you look at your own life, you can also stack up the level of preparation that you have that reduces the risk. If you have education, if you have experience, if you have resources, a lot of that risk goes down. And I apply the same concepts when I'm looking at growing and scaling businesses. If I'm going to look to invest in a new opportunity, I look at the level of risk, but the level of risk at this point in my life is significantly lower than it was before. Why? Because I simply know more. Because I have a broader view. I have more of an understanding of what could go wrong. When I look at a profit and loss statement, I know where the risks are. When I look at a balance sheet, I know where the previous owner might have hid something from me. When I look at a business in general, I look at the tax provisions. I look at the depreciation, the amortization, the employees, the culture. I take it all into account. So I have a broader view of the world. Now, we go back to the aviation example, since we're going back and forth between business and hurricanes and flying airplanes, low altitude, if I were to hop into an A-10 today, the level of risk is significantly higher because I haven't flown the airplane in quite some time. So as I look at my own risk tolerances, I would be less willing to do that. Doesn't mean I would be never willing to do that. It just means that my disposition for success is much lower and I need to be concerned about what success would look like as I hop in an airplane. The final rule, number three, is to look inward. And this is probably the most overlooked. What happens oftentimes when we consider risk is that you become the most limiting component of any risk equation based on what you are willing or unwilling to do. What level of effort will you put into something that would allow you to be successful versus not successful? And the driving factor for that oftentimes is the preparation. And the second component of that is the consistency. Will you do what it takes consistently to be successful with the project? And I'm speaking specifically about business successes or business failures. Will you show up and do what you need to do as a leader, business owner, entrepreneur, employee, whatever it is, will you do the things that you need to do on a daily basis to ensure the success or to minimize the risk. And if not, you are the single limiting factor. So we can come back to the base rate and we can take a look at the disposition of it. When you look at a business that's been in business for six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, one of the reasons why it's so good to buy existing businesses instead of starting a business is because of the existing goodwill. 
it's already in business. It's already in motion and the object in motion will stay in motion. So really what I'm advocating for at the end of this is that we really just go back to personal accountability and personal responsibility. We look for where our role in any decision, opportunity, challenge, frustration, whatever it is, comes back to what level of willingness we have to accept our role in it. And as we wrap up this episode today, I would just offer you this vote of confidence. There is actually a higher likelihood of success that you can accomplish something that you set your intention upon, that you then apply your energy and you give your attention to because you already do have the disposition for it. And the large preponderance of the reasons that it wouldn't be successful is because you're blocking it based on your fear, based on your inadequacy, based on your expectations. But if I come in and I take your emotion out of it and I look pragmatically through my eyes at your situation, would I come to the same result you did? Would I take the same actions you did? Or am I going to look at the situation as a whole and to be able to apply a different level of risk tolerance? So what is it that you can do about it? The biggest thing is seek counsel from other people. Gain that third-party perspective. Find someone who's done the thing that you are setting out to do and ask them how they would look at it. Ask them what considerations that they would have and then borrow from their level of expertise and apply it into your own situation. I hope you have a great week, my friends. I'll see you right back here next week for another episode of the Shift Work Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you found value in today's episode, please take the time to leave a review so that we can build our community of high growth entrepreneurs. If you'd like to stay connected with me, go to www.lukelayman.com to find a link to your social media channel of choice.